0: It's good to see some people back from uh, not feeling well or, um, and being out on vacation and different things. Um, can you turn me down a little bit? This, uh, the past couple weeks, we went through a, a, a little short series, a little two weeks on, on about a biblical church and a contagious church, and now we're back to our normal series. Uh, we took a little time off to, to uh, preach on a couple of specific things, and, and now we're back in the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of, uh, uh, of or we're going to be going through the high definition of living. And, and just to kind of a, a small recap, the, the idea of this book or this, this letter that Paul wrote is a book of love and joy for this, this group that he's very fond of. And out of all the letters he's written, this particular book is just filled with joy and encouragement and, and some practical advice on, on, on how to live the Christian life. So, uh, the series, the idea of the series is a high definition living. And, and so each week we go through and we'll, we'll pick out a particular uh, word or a particular uh, of, uh, idea, and, and I'll preach on that based on this. Book in Philippians, and and these ideas is like, for example, this week is the living a life of harmony. And and so, we'll take this harmony, we'll look at it and go, Okay, you know, to live a high definition life, to live a fully devoted, following, a fully devoted Christ following life, one that's just dynamic, here's something that we can incorporate in our lives and something that that we could just embrace to help us live that. So, we talked about things like living a life of connection and how important relationships were. Um, we talked about, um, um, actually now I'm forgetting what we talked about. It's been a, few, a couple weeks. Uh, but we've talked about a lot of different things. We talked about how important the church is, how important it is to, to love on one another. We talked about relationships. So there's a lot of things we went through and, and, uh, but now we're back in we're we're, we're in chapter four and we'll be looking at only the first few verses and we have about three or four more weeks left of this so we'll be taking our time through chapter four and looking at some key items. Now now this uh, today's today's message a life of harmony. I, I started thinking about uh, living a life of harmony. I love that word harmony. It's just. I mean, it just makes me think of music melodies, you know, just, just this beautiful, smooth, uh, the sound, you know, it just, uh, I, I like that word. As a matter of fact, some people even call their daughters harmony. It's just a beautiful word to describe this, this beautiful, uh, smooth uh, uh, way of things or the way of life and And so, as I was thinking about this this message, I was doing some research and I found an article that that said that um, suggests that 95% of recorded history includes war or things like. Um, A a war or battles or or some kind of national violence. And and as I read this story, I thought, wow, you know, here I'm talking about harmony and I see this story and it was really a staggering statistic. All through history, 95% of the history, the recorded history actually talks about violence. And at a quick glance at national and international news, you can easily see that that indicates probably a very true number. You know, you look at the the in Syria, you look at all around the world, the Middle East. There's just all over the place. It seems like there's constant conflict everywhere. The world seems to be constantly in battle, and finding peace in this world, or finding that harmony, seems to be a very difficult task. I mean, I wonder if sometimes if it's even possible with all the craziness that goes on. You know, you look at couples and marriages and families, and, and they're constantly struggling. I mean, you see fights all the time, whether it's a <laughs> married couple that, that's, uh, that's uh, having struggles financially or, or just in the relationship. You know, life isn't quite the same as what they, they hoped for when they first got married. Or pe- personalities change or, or things change in their life so there's a conflict that happens. Even little kids' fights. Uh, little kids battling it out over silly things, and they uh, argue and fight over things. You know, not at my house. My kids don't do that, but of course. But, uh, you know, the Isaiah and Jacob, they're about a year apart, a year, about 18 months apart. And they're constantly fighting over the Nerf guns and, and little things, you know, blankets. Blankets. We have like a thousand blankets in our house, but yet they fight over one blanket. Look at uh, Congress. Um, things like uh, the uh, our, our battles with politics. The uh, um, go back a slides. There you go. This is uh, this battle here is in the Ukrainian Congress, and and you know we see these battles over Obamacare and a uh, Planned Parenthood and and all these different things you see, and it's just this constant arguments. And then the next slide, you know, we have in the Middle East, there's constant, you know, there's so much battling that even the the gophers or, or whatever these things are, are battling it out. There, there's battles constantly in ISIS, and there's war everywhere. Animals are are fighting. Even, uh, uh, you know, they, they go all in, duke it out with things. I mean, you see it everywhere. Even, even out in the, you know, uh, this is up in Barry's property right here. I'm kidding. But... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, but there's battles everywhere. You've got to make light of it somewhere. You've got to find some humor in this. I mean, God is not a God of all seriousness, okay? So, uh, but there's animals constantly fighting and bickering, and, and there's all around us. There's this disharmony. One person said that if you could just get everybody in the world to close their eyes and visualize world peace for an hour, imagine how serene and quiet the world would be until the looters started. The world is a rough place. Let's be honest here. The world is a difficult place. It, it can be very uh, w- scary. There's, there's things going on everywhere. I was talking to somebody the other day about the World Trade Center. We were reflecting about how, what, where we were during that time and, and things like that. And I was thinking about how, how we're living in, um, in Arizona. We're living in Phoenix, but North Phoenix. and We're only about a mile or two away from the Scottsdale Air Park. And the Scottsdale Air Park is where the, the pilots were training that drove the planes into the Twin Towers. They trained as pilots in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I was thinking about how just right down the street, these guys are training to destroy lives in our, in our world. And so it, it's, it's a daunting, sad reality in our, li- in our world that conflict is here. And I know all of us have had our own personal conflicts. We've had conflicts and and challenges in our own lives. You know, and sometimes they just spring up. You don't even expect them. One day you're doing fine. You think things are going well. The next day you lose your job. Or the next day something happens. You end up in the hospital with something that that you weren't planning. And so you, you just, life and challenges spring up. And sometimes when you least expect it. You know, you may see your family, or maybe you're, you see, in your, see it in your family, your children, your siblings, conflict in your neighbors, conflict in your, your workplace. And, and maybe if you're like me, the longer the conflict goes on, the more longer you see it, or the longer you experience, the, the, the more difficult it is to find peace. Tom Rainer uh, writes a, a, a list of ten things on, on conflict within the church because, you know, you would think that here in church we would be immune to that. We have Christ as our Lord Savior. We have uh, this wonderful relationship with him. He saved us, but yet you would think that here in church we wouldn't have conflict. And I'm not just talking about like Covington Baptist Church or anything. I'm talking just the body of Christ as a whole. You would think that we would be united but he goes through and, and brings up ten different, uh, ten, the top ten uh, uh, arguments or, or conflicts within the church. And one of them is worship and music style. That's a big one, isn't it? If we were to change music tomorrow and we went to all, uh, you know, southern gospel, some of you might be like, yes. And some of you might be like, I'm out of here. You, it, I mean, it could really draw a split in the church. That's a big one. Uh, the volume of the music in the service, surprisingly, was a conflict. How loud the music is. If it's too loud, people get upset. If it's too low, you can't hear it. And there's never anybody that's really happy with the, 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 how loud it is. Reasons why churches die can be a conflict. Some people think, oh, it's because of the megachurch um, planting a church down the road. Another one could be something else. So there's constantly um, reasons, and so people will will say, well, if if it's this, we need to do that. And so there's a a conflict there. Sometimes it's proper attire for church services. Sometimes it's a pastor's salary. I haven't heard that conflict yet, but I wouldn't mind uh, going through that conflict. I'm kidding. Uh, Mega churches. The, The number of hours the pastors work each week. Some churches will really get in and micromanage. And other, per- churches don't ca- or other people don't care. And you can get into that. The role of the pastor's wife. Or I'm sorry, uh, why people leave the church can be a reason. Role of the pastor's wife or even perspective on the, on the pastor's kids. Pre- preacher's kids um, get a lot of stress on them. They get a lot, of, uh, lot of, uh, of, of pressure to conform a certain way. So that could be an issue that could cause strife between a pastor and a, and a church family, or, or even amongst the church family itself. See, there's all kinds of things, even in the church, we can, we can complain. And I know you, you've all probably heard other things. I mean, what would you add to this? You'd probably add some things in there, maybe thinking, oh yeah, you know what, that's true, I bet you I could add about another dozen things in there. But there's conflict everywhere. But why is there such conflict in the world? Why is there such conflict in the church? Why does it even happen? We find the answers in, actually in, in James, but conflict happens because we allow our sinful nature to rule. We let our selfishness, our, our, our personal preferences, our own opinions take priority, and chaos and conflict are inevitable when that happens. We want to do things our way, and we're motivated our motives are often suspicious and self-centered. We do we want it this way because this is the way we think we should have it. And if it's not like that, if it doesn't fit that mold, then it must be wrong. And we and because of our selfishness, sometimes we want to push for our agenda. We are quick to point out the faults of others instead of and ignore instead of ignoring the log, while ignoring the log in our own eye. We're so quick to to be quarrel and fight, and sometimes we even enjoy it. That's why the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, is a multi-million dollar, if not billion-dollar, agency. Because and, and the WWF and the boxing, uh, the boxing uh, clubs, they're all millions and billions of dollars. We see this on TV. We 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 play for for uh, special access to watch these things so people can beat each other up and fight. And sometimes that quarrel, people actually enjoy the fight. They like to see it on TV, and they like to see it in their own lives. Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, if a disagreement should be resolved and could be resolved, but is not, then our stubbornness and selfishness are at the core of the failure. Is it possible to have peace and harmony in our life? with all this conflict I just described is it possible to have genuine peace and conflict see people all around the world are looking for answers they're looking for they're looking at Buddhism and Hinduism and and all these different religions and different faiths and different belief systems to find this one thing and that one thing is, is peace peace in their lives they're looking for answers so is it possible that as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, uh, if, if, is it possible for us to have this peace and harmony in our lives? Can we do that? Yeah, there's going to be division over things at times, but during these debates and discussions, the unity of the church should be the utmost highest concern. So is, is it possible for us to have a life of harmony? Ephesians 4 uh, chapter uh, verse three says, "Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace." So, if, if Ephesians, if Paul's telling us to have this idea of peace in our life and to, to make every, you know have this bond of peace and make every effort to have peace, then obviously he wouldn't set us up for failure. He wouldn't set us up with something that we can't do; is something that we can achieve. Paul gives an example in the Philippians on how to handle conflict in a biblical, Christ-honoring manner. Throughout the letter of, uh, to the, Philippi- uh, the Philippians, Paul stresses unity. In the first, uh, the first three chapters, stresses, he stresses unity. And no less than six times does he ta- uh, tell believers to abandon themsel- their selfishness and serve others. Six times in the first three chapters. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, it says... Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Then he moves on to chapter 2 in verses 2 through 5. It says, "Then Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Do not, look all out for, do not look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. See, and so verse 1, he talks about walk worthy in Christ. For in chapter 2, he talks about uh, uh, living this selfless life and looking out for others. Then he moves on to some doctoral things. If Remember, we talked about the, the, one of the greatest talk of, of, of the Christology in all of Scripture is in chapter 3. And then he goes into, and, and he explains why it's so important to follow Jesus because of who he is. But then he moves into chapter 4, which is where we're at now. And it's more relational. It's more practical in, in chapter 4. And turn with me this morning, if, if you haven't already, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It'll be up on the screen to follow along. It says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, uh, Yodia, Yodia, Yoda, uh, Yodia, and entreat um. I practiced this just this morning and last night. I still can't pronounce her name right. It's Tika, something like that. It doesn't seem like that when you read the verse there. But anyway, um, to agree with the Lord, yes. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let's pray as we open up these words, and then we'll we'll dig into uh, the lesson for the day. Father God, thank you so much for Paul and his letter to the Philippians. And Father God, thank you so much for everybody here today. We ask you to continue to work in our lives and open our hearts and our minds to you. We ask the Holy Spirit to be here right now as we open up these verses uh, of Philippians. And we want to learn something from you, Lord. And so we just ask you to reveal what you'd have us learn and, and continue to teach us and mold us toward Christ-likeness. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we need to set the stage a little bit about this to, to fully understand what's going on, and we, and we glean some lessons out of it. So the first thing is, is that we need to recognize that there's two women at war here. See, Paul mentions these uh, two ladies in the church of Philippi, and then uh, there's this long-going standing argument or this, this spat, this, this uh, de- de- uh, debate that's going on. Now, the struggle of opinions between the two lim- women have gone on for a while because it's even reached Paul in Rome. See, remember, Paul was in house arrest, and he probably heard it from his friend, uh, Aphrodite's, um, and he, he probably heard it from them, so there 's something going on it 's been a while it' was big enough to mention nepal it wasn 't some uh, some little thing and what the fight about we don 't really know it doesn 't get into details about what it is it doesn 't say in acts what it is it doesn 't tell us a whole lot. but I get the feeling that they're they 're quarrelling or, or they 're fighting over probably. Stupid things, like maybe the color of the carpet or something, or, or something else. But it's blown up into this argument where it even reaches uh, Paul. In the process of those viewed, it's wrecking the fellowship of the church. So Paul writes them specifically in letter, and he calls them out by name. Now, to understand the strength and how important this is this, and to realize the significance of this, when Paul would write that letter, that what they would do is they would take that letter at the church and they would read it out to everybody and it would be a, it would be something that he would read to everybody and they'd probably read it multiple times to get the full uh, the full understanding of this letter so here's probably somebody, one of the leaders of the church standing up reading this, and these women would have been held accountable in front of the whole entire church for this. What do you think would happen if we did that today? If I, wrote, if I read a letter and it was calling out somebody specifically for a sin that they're doing, and I read the letter from somebody, and, and it calls them out. See, in our day and age of privacy and stuff, we would, I would probably be lectured. I'd have the deacons would be in my office, and I'd be fussed at. Um, not to say that they wouldn't be justified. We don't do that today, do we? But during that time... And and they read it out, and there was nothing held on. There was nothing secret. Paul places the importance of protecting the fellowship of the church above protecting the privacy of these ladies. Imagine standing in the congregation with its letters read. These two, two women are sitting on opposite sides. They probably had one over here and one over here, and they both had their friends, and they both had their you know their their partners that were siding with them, and there's this little split. I want blue carpet, and the other one says, I want green carpet, and they're just mad at each other. And so now they have this split. Now Paul writes this letter, and they get this letter, and these two ladies are probably, when Paul reads, you know, writes in, in verse, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, um, they both gave heart uh, they probably both gave a hearty amen when Paul said, uh, "Confident that he would, would bring a good work in them, who carry out these uh, these things into completion." When Paul's praising them, that God, he knows that God is going to bring out to, all of us to completion and go to heaven someday. And then these both women probably are sitting there, they can amen, yeah. And then, you know, he moves down to chapter 2, and, and, uh, and there's a great hymn that Paul talks about and uses, and they probably read that, and they're probably in tears and just thinking about, yes, praise the Lord Jesus on this. And then you get down, and, and Paul talks about the false teachers in, in, in chapter 3, and they're probably like, that's right, get rid of those false teachers. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 4, boom, you two ladies, we're going to address an issue, and we're going to deal with this right now. And he goes into this, says, you two, we're going to deal with something. And he calls them out by name at that moment. I don't know about you, but I'd probably crawl under my seat. I'd probably be sitting there going, yes, amen, amen. Oh, my God, did he just say my name? I'm out of here. I'd probably be embarrassed, wouldn't you? But here's, he, he does that. He calls them out by name. But he doesn't do it to embarrass them. He, he, but he doesn't hesitate to deal with the divisiveness of this conflict head on. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He, he just deals with it straightforward. Now I love how uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the uh, the Message Bible. Says, "I urge you, um, Yodia and uh, Sun Tuke. That's how you pronounce her name. Sun Tuke to iron out their differences iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. Pretty cut and dry. Pretty, it's pretty simple. He's right to the point. And he tells them in front of the whole church. Paul pleads with them, he beseeches them, he he, he just begs them, and implores them both. Just says, "Look, stop fighting. Start getting along. Rather than take sides, Paul treats them both tenderly and equally, and he doesn't pull a power play. He appeals to their heart. He says, just get along. The word agree in the Greek here is the same word that we get the harmony, which is the title of the message. And it's like the musical notes in a chord. In other words, Paul tells them to stop making noise and start making music together. He urges them to live in one accord with one another, and that is to have unity with one another. And he describes these women in positive terms. I mean, he doesn't have this negative view of them. He actually describes them in a very positive light. He says that they they, they came together and they labored for the gospel with Paul. They worked with Clement and the rest of the believers in the church. They struggled against opposition, and, and which is, uh, this opposition is the same word that we get gladiators from. This fight, this battle, they, they battled it out like gladiators, the opposition. Their names are written down in the book of life, and in biblical times, um, they would take a, a book, and they write down all the citizens in, the, in that community in the name, uh, or their names in this book, so they know what rights they had, and, and they would keep track of people. So the book of life, when we see that, it's referencing that, that list of how intimate God knows every single one of our names and every single, every single thing about us, he has it written down in this book of life. Paul points out that these two women were both believers and he strongly encourages them to act like it. So we're, if, we, if it's true that we're to be called peacemakers and if we're to be peaceful people, then how do we do it? How do, we, how do we become peacemakers? How do we, how do we live a life of harmony and peace? If you have your Bibles open, and the margin on this first five verses, I want you to write down two things. One is peace, and the other is pursue peace at all costs. Pursue peace at all costs. So how are we going to do it? The first thing is we need to give it every effort. We need to pursue Peace with every single effort. Look at Romans fourteen nineteen. It says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. See, God's, one of God's name is Jehovah Shalom, and which is the God of peace. We see that in Romans and First Corinthians and Second Thessalonians. And it expects us to be a, about peacemaking. We're not to be about quarreling and fighting and, and, and backbiting or anything like that. We're to be about peace. And we should be always putting peace in the very first and foremost in our lives. We are to make every effort for peace. Why is this so important? Why? Because the unity of the church and its effectiveness is, is and their witness is at stake. If we're a quarrelsome church, or, or, there's a, or if I'm a quarrelsome Christian, it wrecks my testimony, and it wrecks yours. But if we're peacemakers, that changes things. We're different. It is our commitment to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that gives us the desire to live in peace. Colossians 3.15, Paul wrote, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since there, as members of one body you are called to peace. It doesn't matter if you have something against someone else. But if you find out that they're, or, or they're mad at you, it doesn't matter. Either way, it is our responsibilities to go and seek peace. If somebody has a, a, an issue with you and you find out, it's our responsibility to go seek them out and make peace. Look, at, Listen to Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. It says, so if you are offering your gift at an altar and they're, Remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So you got to do that first above all else. You have to, when you have a, a, a conflict in your life, you need to put that in, a, in a, right up front, make it a priority to resolve it, to make peace. Because when you have that conflict in your life, your relationship with God is interfered. Think of it in terms of the telephone. When you're in a conflict, the relationship with God has severed that phone line temporarily. But once you heal and you, and you, and you uh, uh, repent, that phone line gets fixed, and now you're in better communication with God. So if you're in conflict right now, maybe there's someone in the church or in your family or a coworker or someone. If you're in conflict right now, here's what you do. You deal with it today. You deal with it immediately. When we do an altar call today, uh, at the end of service, deal with it immediately. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews three thirteen says. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, when we put off conflicts, and we put off uh, uh, resentments, and we put off these these uh, these of uh, uh, fighting and, and, res- and hurt, what ends up happening is our heart becomes hardened. And it becomes more difficult to deal with. The people that say, oh, time heals all wounds, I don't believe that. I believe they just fester. And I think you need to get it out and open and, and out and reveal them and deal with them. So the first thing is, is to do it immediately. Put a high priority, put a, every effort into the, the, uh, the healing and then when you deal with it, number two, and when you deal with it, express yourself biblically. Now, when I was a young man, and, and you might have noticed I still struggle with this, I had a loose tongue. I had a, a way of words. I, I had a way of, of really saying things that really I should not have said. I know I'm completely healed of that today, right? But, uh, but you know, when I was 16 years old, I had a really smart mouth. I'm surprised I didn't get it more than I did, but when I was 16 years old, my uh, my dad gave me a birthday card, and in the birthday card it said, you know, I love you, son, you know, typical stuff, and he puts down Ephesians 4 4:29. Uh, well, he doesn't give me the verse; he just puts Ephesians 4:29 down. So I'm like, okay, I'm antsy to find out what it is. I'm thinking, you know, some fatherly love thing, or some, some great piece of advice, or I'm thinking, okay, this is, I'm wondering what this is, and, and so I get to my room, I had a little NIV Bible, and, and this is what I looked up, uh, this is what Ephesians 4.29 says. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That wasn't quite what I was expecting from a birthday card, but I'll tell you, that was 16, let's see, uh, how old am I now? That was about 30 years ago, and I still remember that card, and I still remember that verse. I still remember his handwriting. That's how impactful that was. Do not let corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Hmm. Years later, I took a closer look at that verse as I went to Bible college and I started learning how to dissect verses and understand them and stuff. And, uh, and that word, uh, in some of your translations will say unwholesome or corrupt, uh, usually interchangeable, but that, um, that word is sapros uh, in the Greek. And, and what it is, is it means rotten or putrid, uh, uh, stale or harmful. I mean, that's how significant that word is. It's not just, you know, unwholesome as in you said the, you know, the SH word or something or something like that. That's that's unwholesome. No, this is talking like rotten words. This is stuff that's just derogatory and putting people down and, and, and it's just, uh, uh, just no good. There's nothing good about these words. And that hit me, you know, so my dad wrote this card when I was 16. I started Bible college when I was 29. So right around the age of 30, I learned... Uh, I learned this verse even more, which was even another hit in the head because then I thought really what he was telling me was I was saying corrupt, horrible things, which was a double lesson. I thank my dad for that. When we are in conflict, it's easy to lose control of our tongues. When we're in conflict, it's easy to to say things that we shouldn't say, to, to be hurtful. It's easy to insult or name call or slander people. or It's easy to curse at them. That's the easy thing to do. You know, it's, and, it, and it's completely inappropriate for God's people to have that kind of attitude. Maybe, uh, maybe not be like I was and have shown most disrespect to other people. Most of the times uh, we say we, we'll, we'll, we'll lose our, our, our control and self-control. We must avoid accusing comments over sweeping generalizations and and becoming historical. And historical is bringing up past events. You know, things that you've already healed from. You've already agreed upon. You said, I forgive you. And yes, I forgive you. I love you. And we make uh, reconciliation. And then a month later, you're pointing that same issue back in their face. That's what being historical is. Using words that, we need to use words that build others up by being gentle and kind. Listen to the words that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 15. He says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Paul encouraged the believers at the church at uh, Colossae in Colossians 4, 6, Let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Do your words harm and wound people? Or does it bring about healing? Is your vocabulary hurtful, or do they affirm? I want you to try this tomorrow. Here's your your to-do list from this message. Try this tomorrow. Go one day without saying anything negative about anyone. Go a full day without saying anything negative about anyone else. Make a deal. Actually, I'll make you this deal. I'll make you a deal. You can give me a dollar every time you slip up. But make a deal with somebody. Give them a dollar every time you slip up. Ask the Holy Spirit to apply Ephesians 4.29 in your life. And ask yourself this question, is it worth it? Is is what I'm saying to somebody worth putting them down? In many situations, the best way to resolve conflict is to simply overlook the offense. Sometimes the best things to do is just offer grace. To provide grace and just overlook what it is and say, you know what? Maybe they've just had a bad day. When I was in sales, when I was in retail, um, I had a, uh, somebody trained me on this, and I, re, I used to train my staff on this, and it was very valuable to me. Um, I became very well known at taking irate customers and overturning them into, and turning them into a sale. So you have a customer that's just really mad. They come in, and, and they're cussing up a storm, and I would take that customer, and I would overturn them, and not only would I, would I make them happy again, but I'd turn out and sell them something else. And so I, and what it was, was what helped me uh, understand these customers was what, uh, is, is if you look at their situation, they might be something coming into that store completely different than what I thought. See, I might take it personal. Guy comes in, throws down a ring, because I was a jeweler, throws down a ring on the table and says, this is a piece of junk, I want my money back. Well, what I might not realize is he might have taken that ring and, uh, uh, and, and asked the girl to get married and she turns him down. And maybe on that, he, she, he finds out something bad happened, like maybe he, she had a crush on his brother or something, or, 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 or maybe she cheated on him or something. And now he's heartbroken. So then he's driving to the, the mall, and, he, and his AC goes out, so now it's really hot and muggy. And then on the way to the mall to go return this, he gets cut off in the parking lot, so that makes him even madder. So by the time he gets to me as a, cust- as a, as a salesperson or as a manager, he's heated. But it has nothing to do with me has nothing to do with me it has to do with all the other situations that led him up to that moment to meet with me and he took it all out on me so what happens is in our lives in a non-sales perspective is sometimes we have bad days Sometimes we have situations where we're stressed out and we're, we're, we're worried about finances. We're worried about our, our jobs. We're worried about our kids. We're worried about our, our spouse's health. <laughs> we're worried about all these different things. And you might not even know what's going on in that person's life. And so they get a little snippy with you, and they maybe get a little bit uh, sassy, and you take it personal. And what we need to do is we need to offer grace and say, you know what? What's wrong? Are you okay? Have I done something to offend you? Have I treated, is there something I've done? No. Okay, good. Okay, we got that out of the way. What's going on? How can I help you? Offer some grace. Apply God's word in in those situations. Look at, there's a, I'm not going to read every single one of them, but there's a number of them. Uh, A a bunch of proverbs. Uh, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Isn't that just providing a little grace? Look at Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like uh, breaching a dam. So drop the matter before dispute breaks out. 1 Peter 4. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I think about that example of taking a beating, uh, a verbal beating from a customer. Sometimes we do that with, the, with people so we can show them love. We bear with one another. Bear, uh, the next one, uh, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you m- may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Colossians chapter 3. There's a story about Tom Cruise uh, was doing the premiere for War, War of the Worlds when the movie came out. And there's a, a, a TV crew that squirted him, a guy squirted him with, uh, with the water guns and, and just doused him on the red carpet. And He got really mad I and mean, this, this crew and this group got arrested. And a, a short time later... Tom Cruise went and he resolved the conflict simply by not pressing charges and overlooking it. What to find out, what happened was, it was a group of people that were doing gags, um, practical jokes. And these practical jokes, they were doing them on celebrities. And, when, and Tom found out, and he's, he's like, oh, okay, and he just let it go. He could have done anything, but he let it go. Let me encourage you to provide a little grace to that person that hurt you today, or hurt you in the past. Or hurt, hurt you by what they said or what they did or maybe even what they didn't do. Sometimes we get mad at people for what they didn't do. In the name and power of Christ, who forgave you and me so much, let it go. Forgive and move on. Number three, confess your sins, not theirs. Matthew 5, 7 says, uh, Jesus gives us a, a very stern warning. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you, see, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the, all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, takes the plank, first take the plank out of your own eye and then when you see clearly, remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, Jesus calls us to confess our part of the problem before we go into with everybody else. So many times we have a tendency to point the finger, but how many fingers are pointing back at us? You know, we point the finger at what they've done wrong, but what we really need is we need to come to terms with what we did wrong. Scripture tells us all over uh, to take a self-inventory of ourselves, to see our side of it, to see what we've done and confess those sins. See, we have so many people that are so quick to point out the sins of others. And we are in desperate need of Christ's confessors, not finger pointers. See, first we confess our sins to our Savior. And I encourage you to put this verse in mind. In 1 John uh, one 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, once our hearts are right with God, then we can go to that person uh, with, with, with Christ on our shoulders, guiding our way. See, once we confess our sins, the Holy Spirit will teach us what we did wrong. And we go with a humble heart. We go to that person and say, I'm so sorry I offended you. And then next thing you know, most of the time, they'll say, you know what, I'm sorry I said that to you. And, re- and the resolution is there. But take care of our own sins first before we go to others. <laughs> Ken Sand... Uh, lists uh, seven A's of confession. says to address everyone involved, avoid the words if, but, and maybe. And what he's referring to there is, well, if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have reacted that way. If you wouldn't have, fill in the blank, I wouldn't have been so upset. Well, if maybe you were a little nicer, number three, admit specifically both attitudes and actions. Saying, I'm sorry. I get on the boys all the time. They're just like, I'm sorry, Dad. Well, uh, sorry for what? Get specific. Get real about it. I am sorry that I said A, B, C, D, E, F, G T, uh, And I shouldn't have said those words. Well, you didn't say that. Yeah, I said it, but it was behind your back. So that's another sin I did. Okay? So you confess specifically. Be real about it. Be honest about it. Acknowledge the hurt. I know that when I said these things, you were very upset and I hurt your feelings. Accept the consequences. They might still be mad at you. They might say, you know what? That's all fine, but I want to talk to you. That's fine. You've, you've, you've gotten your side of the street clean. You've apologized. You were direct. You were, uh, acknowledged the hurt. Sometimes you just got to give them time to heal. But an adult... And a, a person in Christ should stand up for the consequences of our actions. Number six, alter our behavior. Make an attempt to change what it is that you've been doing. If you're saying things to people, if you're hurting them, I, I, I know I've hurt people's feelings, and Jenny is my, uh, I always uh, filter things through her, and I'll say, Hey, I said this the other day to so-and-so. Did that sound harsh? Or was that mean? I, I don't know sometimes. And she'll say, yeah, that was kind of harsh. If you would have said that to me, I would have backhanded you, you know, or whatever. She would never do that. But she would say things. She would tell me if I did something wrong. If it was sounding harsh. She's my filter. So find somebody like that. Alter your behavior. Get help. Number seven, ask for forgiveness and allow time. And that's the biggest thing. Don't just say, I'm sorry. Ask, will you forgive me? Those are big, powerful words. This gives the, the wrongdoer a chance to identify the offense that allows the other person and grants them an opportunity to forgive and the relationship be restored. James chapter five verse 16 says, "Therefore confess your sins to, to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed." The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God is able to heal relationships, but only if we confess through confession, through humility, and through prayer. So here's my action steps for you today. Those seven steps we just went through, write them down. Get them from me. And and work through those as a habit. Remember, it takes two to tango. It takes two to fight on every situation. It takes two to argue. And remember whose responsibility it is to seek peace. It's ours. And finally, out of all those things, those three things, if nothing else works, and all those things, you try to redeem, you you know, you try to work things out with each other, you try to find peace and harmony with each other, and, and you become a peacemaker. If that doesn't work, engage a mentor, I mean a mediator. Find somebody that can help you work through it. If none of these steps work, find a mediator to help resolve the issues. Now, that's what the word loyal uh, yoke fellow is referencing. A a loyal yoke fellow is somebody that will, it's a a mature believer, a a solid believer that understands these things and will will side with the truth and what Scripture says over personalities and people's opinions or people's feelings. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he does, will not listen, take one or two others along. So that in every manner matter may, the, may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So you're going, the first step is to go, when you have a conflict with somebody and you and there's some kind of issue, you go and talk to the person first in private. And you try to resolve it in private. That doesn't mean you go share it with everybody in the church. That doesn't mean you pick up phone calls and, and the phone and start calling people. You have an issue, you go to that person and you do it right between them. and say, here's my issue. And you try to f- do every effort to seek peace. You don't put it in the prayer request. You don't send an email out. You talk to the person. Now, if the, if the person comes and talks then you have an opportunity to win over a brother. And you have an opportunity to work things out. When I have people that come to me and they start talking about other people uh, or they start complaining, like uh, with, with the boys. They'll start, uh, Noah will talk about, you know, get mad at Christian. I'll go, go talk to Christian about it. Go deal with, go, go, go talk to them. Start resolving those things on your own. Most of the time, we just need a gentle nudging to do that. To go face to face, and I know it's a little nerve-wracking, it's a little scary because you're confronting somebody with something a, a concern of yours, and you're doing it face to face with the very person that have offended you, or, or or have confronted you, or whatever it is. But notice the goal is not uh, punishment. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is to to heal together. It's not to it's not to. Uh, you know, slander each other. It's not to get into an argument. It's not to get my way. It's not to get what I want. It's about coming to a resolution, coming to a compromise, working things out, and having unity and peace within the church. It's not about my way, it's about reconciliation. And if when those things don't work out, engage a mediator, and with that mediator, make sure that they're a wise person, not somebody that's going to side with you. Don't pick out somebody that's like, you know what, I'm going to pick this guy over here, because I know he's going to see eye to eye to me. And you go talk to him about it, and then you go talk to him about it, and this is what happens. They'll go talk to him, and they'll find out, would you, do you agree with me? And then they say, yeah, I agree with you. Hey, would you help mediate this for me? That's not the way it works. You find an elder Somebody that's that's neutral, that will give you honest opinions, that's mature in the faith, knows his Bible. And you go and you say, hey, we need to work this out. We need help. Chuck Swindoll writes, if you choose mediation, remember, the ultimate goal is restoration, not discipline. The right attitude is grace, not force. The common ground is Christ, not logic, politics, tradition, or your will. God paints a, an amazing picture of what, uh, what his grace is all about. All through scripture, as we read scripture, there's, there's grace everywhere. And those things are pardoning us. His grace pardons us for the sins that we do. And he is our example. So when we, get a, when we want, if we want to have harmony in our lives, if we want to have peace in our lives, grace is the key to it all. Grace is the key to it all. It's the peace granted by God himself in the midst of this world that offers us this opportunity. We can find peace with our brothers and sisters. We can find peace from the anxieties of this world. We can find peace from conflicts. We can find peace through Jesus Christ. The rest of the world may offer temporary truces that are eventually broken. The world may uh, offer 95% war, but God offers peace that lasts. For eternity. If you want peace today, you can find peace in Jesus. Let's pray. Everybody's head bowed. Eyes closed. Nobody looking around. If you have conflict in your life, if you have some, some uh, you know, lack of peace in your life, and you're struggling with that right now, if you're struggling with that peace, and you have a conflict with somebody or something, and it's bothering you. You need to give that to God first, and find your fault for it first. You need to give it to Him. This is the time I want you to do that. If you have some conflict in your life, do me a favor. We're not, nobody's looking around, so nobody's going to know. Slip up your hand and let me know, so I can pray for you. Thank you. Now, if you have that conflict and maybe you were too shy or something to, to reveal that or you didn't want to raise your hand, that's fine. I understand. But take this time as we get ready to worship and have this worship song. Take this time to give it to God. Confess it to him. Because you can't have healing without that confession first. So confess it. Now, if you have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ uh, ever and you want to, make that commitment. Make that commitment to Jesus and a serious commitment, we have never done that before, but you want to do it today, raise your hand and let me know. Thank you. Father God, thank you so much for everybody here today as they, they have come to worship you, and we just ask you to give us a heart of peace, Lord. Give us the courage to be able to seek out people when we have conflict, and, and embrace them with full grace and love of you. See, all of us are so different and different in our ways of life, and our personalities, and our ages, and our, our likes and dislikes. And we're just so different. And, and I know that you've created us differently because you love diversity, Lord. And you love us and you've created us all different for a reason. And so, Father God, help us learn to, to be peacemakers with each other and peacemakers out in the world when we have conflict outside the church. Help us be peacemakers so we can be the salt and the light of the world. So we can show what a relationship with Jesus is really about. Father God, thank you so much for everybody here. And we ask you to help heal the people that are in the hospital today and the ones that are homesick. Help them get better quickly. And to heal quickly. Give them the comfort they need. And Father God, we love you. And we're just thankful for your love in Jesus name. Amen. All right, everybody-